What's up, guys? Happy to have you for show 15, an action-packed show, kicking off with Fox Sports host, reporter, and analyst, as well as Gulfstream Park on-air handicapper and assistant producer, Acacia Courtney. We are, at present, working together at the New York Racing Association, and hence we're both able to safely sit down at my rental in Saratoga. We just about discuss every current topic we could find, the quarantine rules, what Saratoga is like, whilst also diving into Acacia's life and career, her highs and lows. Truly a, a candid chat, no holding back, just two friends talking freely. So excuse any words used. I uh, decided not to take too much out of this chat to really give you the vibe of what it's like when we sit down to have a chat. Before moving on to the next guest, make sure to subscribe to Talk Racing to Me with Naomi. My feed is live. So cool. So special. So different. Please take a few seconds out of your day to rate and review my show. It truly means so much to me if you do. And of course, continue to listen to all the great shows the In The Money media team has on offer. JK Plus One, Matt Bernier's weekly show, Red Board Rewind, and all the money-making main flagship shows hosted by the one and only Peter Thomas Fornatel. Now, it's a hard act to follow Acacia Courtney, but 2015 champion apprentice, rising star, and last year's Preakness Stakes winner, Tyler Gaffleone does not let us down. We chat the quarantine experience, trying to figure out where his star mounts are going, what it's like to be at Saratoga, his recent CCA Oaks win, as well as what it's been like traveling around the USA and how he met his girlfriend. He shares who the jockeys are he looks up to, as well as what his relationship with his agent, Matt Musikar, is like. And how his dream was to be a bull rider, albeit he never got the chance. Now, before we start with Acacia, uh, we were talking about the upcoming Alfred Vanderbilt stakes on Saturday. But unfortunately, Diamond Oops, who I mentioned, is not running. But Volatile is big headliner there. I'm very, very excited to see him running in the flesh. He makes his debut at the spa. I actually got the chance to visit him this morning at the Steve Asmussen barn. Really good looking, happy fellow, lots of muscle on him. And he was very relaxed. He just seemed very happy to be at Saratoga. Now, let's get started with my first guest of the day. Acacia Courtney joins me here on the Tuesday, one of the dark days in Saratoga. So we're both free to do other stuff. Looking back on that first week at Saratoga, what were some of the highlights for you and how has it been different? Well, the main difference clearly has been that there's been no crowd. It was um, something that had been the main conversation for pretty much everybody that was at the track. And it was exciting getting to see a handful of owners be able to come starting Friday. Saturday, compared to the opening couple of days, almost felt like the place was buzzing because there were a few owners there for their horses, which was great to see because they do put so much money into the sport and, and so much support in it and running their horses in these big races. So it was nice for them to get a chance to be able to see that. And we hope that 
someday soon we will be able to have fans back at the track because the atmosphere is such a huge part of Saratoga and what makes it so special. So that was taking some getting used to, but more than anything, I think everybody's been really positive just about the fact that we are racing and that we are here at Saratoga and really thankful that we do get to have all of these races that are maybe not the same time on the calendar as they used to be, but we get to have them, we get to point to them. It gives horsemen a schedule, a chance to kind of map out their races. Um, so I think highlights the, the first race of the meet, getting to just hear Don and Brielle say they're off at Saratoga was exciting. Um, we had some spectacular races, the tight photo finish in the Coaching Club American Oaks between Paris Lights and Crystal Ball, Decorated Invaders staying perfect in 2020 in the Hall of Fame, just some really, really big performances. And maybe we'll see Country Grammar winner of the Peter Pan heading to the Run Happy Travers as well. So I was really just happy to kind of take a step back and be a bit of a fan this week as well. Do you sometimes miss that, being able to attend as a fan? I do. It's been a long time since I've been to the races just for fun. I think last year's Belmont Stakes was actually um, the last time I just went to the races just to watch. I wasn't working and I had actually kind of made it... Uh, a purpose to just say, I'm just going to go for fun. And I, it was kind of weird because I felt like I should have been taking notes in the paddock. I should have been doing something. I should have been talking to people. So it was hard to kind of take a step back and relax. But I say this often, first and foremost, I am a fan of the game. I, I love the horse and, and the thoroughbred in general. I, I've dedicated so much of my life to these animals. So I have so much appreciation for it, first and foremost. I was thinking to myself, I can't remember the last time I went to the racetrack and wasn't working. And I don't want to moan about that because we, <laughs> we are there doing what we love. But sometimes you do think back of those special days that you were just a fan. I, I think I, one of the last days for me was when Wings won her last Cox Plate and then retired. And I was just there as a Aww. fan. And I remember just thinking, this is incredible just to be a part of that. And that was obviously in Australia and Sydney. But uh, let's get back to Saratoga again before I switch uh, divert into any other <laughs> topic <laughs> we were talking just before we got on we were talking about the betting handle because there was some discussion that moving this whole colony of, of horses trainers grooms everyone that's involved all the way up upstate mm -hmm. is that the right thing to do and now after the first week we've seen an increase in the betting turnover is it safe to say that it was a good move to still come up here I think it was, and, and I've been one all along who thought that it was the right move to come up here, not just because I wanted to come to Saratoga, but because I understand a lot of the arguments that were brought up. The betting handle being number one, there was a stretch of time where there was no racing in New York. There were a lot of people in the backstretch that were still coming to work without pay to make sure that these horses were fed and cared for. Just because there was no racing, horses still need to be taken care of. They still need to be exercised. The track never closed down even though racing wasn't allowed to happen. So being able to find a way to bring some money back into the New York Racing Association as far as handle, there is much more interest just as far as the product goes uh, for coming up to Saratoga to bring some money back into those purses for horsemen who've had to support their horses and their staff throughout this very tough and unprecedented time. Also, one of the biggest things was that to stay at Belmont for an extended period of time, it would be much too, wear, too much wear and tear on the turf course. So that would have taken away a lot of the big turf races. It would have had to alter the schedule even more. So with this schedule coming up to Saratoga for the, the regular time, we're able to keep 
those stakes races that I mentioned, different schedule, give Belmont a little bit of a break and come back in the fall and not have to sacrifice anything as far as the quality of the races. I always find that a really interesting concept because the way the meets are structured in the US is so different compared to other parts of the world where, for example, in let's say Australia and Europe, we have a lot of turf racing, but it wouldn't be back to back to back days. Like we're here running five days a week in, in Saratoga. Whereas let's say at Newbury or at Royal Ascot, well, not Royal Ascot, at Ascot, <laughs> you would just have one day a week of racing and hence you're able to keep the turf really good. And we're not able to do that here. So I'm always trying to wrap my head around that one or explain it to people because yeah. it is different and horse horse racing in the u.s has seen an increase in turf racing has seen a lot more uh, precedence and um kind of elevated the the level of turf racing it used to be that dirt racing was so much more quote-unquote important here in the u.s and we've seen turf racing which i love because i love turf racing we've seen turf take more of not such a backseat to those dirt races, which also makes that important to make sure that we have a good course to provide. What do you think, that sounded Irish, what do you think (laughs) contributed to that growth? Uh, I think it was some big horses that were doing so well on the turf and people started bringing up some arguments about, hey, what's to say that these horses are quote unquote not as good? Also, we see some of these horses and these races from Europe that are so spectacular and the premier races there are on the grass. The only time we really get to see some of them come stateside is for races like the Breeders' Cup and a couple of the other big um, grade ones uh, in in North America on the grass. But um, I was really pleased to see that the horse of the year in this past year in bricks and mortar was a turf horse for the first time in a long time. And um, I I think that that was a, a big move forward to show that the predominance of turf racing is a move in the right direction because I think it also puts the U.S. on a, on a better playing field worldwide as that we have more emphasis on both surfaces. Yeah, hence also being able to have those horses from all these other jurisdictions yeah. come over and even perhaps one day entice uh, the Hong Kong and Japanese runners to come Absolutely. over here, which they do, and really truly make it this international competition and sportsmanship mm-hmm. that we all love. I very much like the turf racing because I think for as a spectator and as a fan, the way turf races are set up and the way that the pace is, uh, this service lends itself to these late closing runners just because the turf gives back a little bit more in these sort of, some sort of a, a bounce in a way. Now, mm-hmm. I'm a runner myself and I've run on dirt and turf and turf. <laughs> takes a little bit less out of you because it does give a little bit more slide to the feet of the horses. And hence, it's just a lot more exciting to watch when you have five horses and you you get a photo finish for first, second and third. And we're all sitting there wondering who won, but it, it makes it a lot more fun. So very much looking forward to the turf races here at Saratoga. But let's move on to looking back at last year, that was your first year with the Fox Sports mm-hmm. team. Uh, you were hosting, you were doing various things. You let you do a little bit of everything, which is <laughs> incredible and, and shows your, your talent and adaptability, which is amazing. But coming back this year with all these changes, what do you take from last year going into this that you think is important or might help you? One of the biggest things I think about having a year under my belt is a comfort level and also just knowing the ins and outs of the show. Um, as you can attest to, doing simulcasts, coming from working at one particular track when you're just doing your little prattle, 15 minutes to post or whatever it is about the horses in that field, um, it's a lot different kind of setup and a different kind of show when you're doing 
something like America's Day at the Races or Saratoga Live on Fox Sports. So a familiarity, I think, was important as well. And also to put a lot more emphasis on the storylines. And it's something that I really enjoy because I think that those are the, the biggest things that will entice people to become more fans of horse racing because you have these amazing stories of, of a rags to riches type horse or somebody that's overcome adversity or just somebody who's done a lot of good things for the sport and you want to root for them. Hearing those stories and being able to talk about those things that kind of weave everything together was one of my favorite parts of getting to host too because we really got to highlight those. And like I said, I think that those are the things that will really bring people into racing a bit more. And especially now that we can't have fans at the track, you need things like that to to keep people engaged. In terms of as an analyst and a handicapper, what do you think really characterizes Saratoga? What do you think is important for someone when they're going through the cards? Well, there are a couple of things. Uh, One of the biggest things I always look at, whether it's Saratoga or any track, is try to envision how the pace is going to play out. Um, Try to identify where the speed's coming from. And it's important to note, too, that there have been changes to the track, the actual physical track at Saratoga this year versus last year. A new rail has been put up, a new drainage system. So we're not going to have to worry about waiting for the track to drain and dry out when we have these heavy rainstorms like we do when the skies just open up here in Saratoga, um, which we've all been there. We've all been through it. Um, but we've seen inside speed doing doing well. People, um, jockeys taking advantage of either not a lot of pace in the race. Um, we have seen horses being able to come from the outside and come from off of it, the track seems very even and very fair, but I always try to envision how the race is going to play out first and foremost, and especially a place like Saratoga. I think that's important. Um, also, one of the biggest things for me, and um, this is by virtue of seeing a lot of these horses in Florida and, and then now at Belmont and here in Saratoga as well, is I, I always look back at my notes. Did I have uh, notes for that horse as far as fitness or a different distance or type of trip or something like that? Watch replays, see how these horses are coming in and see if you can find any hidden gems. Oh, we're always looking always for that there. wise guy <laughs> horse that nobody else seems to pick out. And let's actually preview this week's action uh, briefly the fields aren't out yet but we do know a couple of probables it's headlined by the grade one vanderbilt over six foot on the main track uh, first horse that i looked at a uh, first horse that was touted as one of the horses that was going to be running is whitmore uh, he has been on fire so far this year he won the grade three count fleet sprint last summer at oakland park uh, how do you rate his chances going into this well hats off first and foremost to ron Mulquet for keeping this horse in such good form i mean what is he now seven it's amazing. I mean, and I love, this is a total aside, but looking at horses like Tom's Day Ta, who's seven years old, Monoway Girl, Midnight Bisu back now at five, Rushing Fall back at five, Whitmore at the top of his game at seven. I love this trend of not rushing off to the breeding shed. And Whitmore's a gelding, but, um, so he, he's not going there, but I love this trend of keeping horses in training because they, there's that storyline again. They get to have a following. People are excited to see them. And I know Whitmore has his own fan base. Um, but he is, he's an awesome horse. I'm, I'm a big fan of him. Uh, he's won here at Saratoga before. Uh, he's, he's an, um, a horse that does tend to get a little bit keyed up, a little bit crazy going into the gate before the race when I've seen him in the past. Uh, but he is a horse that 
is versatile as well. He can come from a little bit more off the pace. And I love how sharp and just on his game he's been. It seemed like he was almost kind of tailing off for a little bit and he recaptured his form. So I'm a big fan of him and uh, I haven't dove into the race deeply yet, but I'm a fan of his and, and I like his running style too because especially in sprint races, sometimes you will see things get maybe a little bit hot on the front end. Especially sprinting, like you said, a lot of speed. A horse that actually likes to come with a closing run that I think is a bit interesting is it is Diamond. Oops, he looks like a possible contender. He ran an incredible second behind Imperial Hint in this race last year at a price of almost 30 to 1. And Imperial Hint, a back to back winner of this race, now retired. So they won't be running into him. And that's a, it's an interesting thing to see these. I mean, Diamond Oops is a five year old to see these older horses still be at the top of the game in sprint, over sprint distances, because mm -hmm. in general, the gist is that a three or four year old at the top of their game would be a stronger sprint with just a lot more natural speed and natural fire power in terms of their muscle development. So how, how do you think he, uh, he would be going into this? Well, I know him quite well as he's based in Florida for Patrick Bancone and um, he's, He's the one that's kind of took a little while to find his form. He was kind of the opposite of some of the other horses in here who were very good early on. He took a little while to find himself. And one thing, and I had mentioned this when Soleil Volante ran in the Belmont Stakes, is that Patrick Bincone likes to start a lot of his horses on turf. Going back to what we were talking about before, he feels it's a much more forgiving surface, likes to start there. You always have the option to try the dirt as well. Um, and this guy had been running... He's run on turf, he's run on dirt as well, but I thought he actually ran a huge race in the Pegasus World Cup two starts back behind Mucho Gusto, and there was plenty of pace in that race too, but that's not his preferred distance. Being around one turn, seven furlongs, one turn mile, I think are, are really his, his best distances. Six furlongs, I do wonder if it's a touch short for him. He's won at the distance before, but I actually do wonder if it is a bit a bit short for him if it's really his best distance, but he does have that nice closing kick. And I hope that he's not forgotten in this race because he is coming up from Florida. He was actually kind of the wise guy horse in the Breeders' Cup Dirt Mile, and he didn't show up that day. He loves it at Gulfstream. I hope he's able to bring that form to Saratoga. Well, he won't be forgotten now. We've just mentioned him. I know. Now I know. Now we have to talk about him. <laughs> now everyone will be very much aware of this horse going into this. Uh, what are some of the other horses that could line up on Saturday. Like I said, fields are fields are that we're hypothetically handicapping mm -hmm. here. Uh, Forenze Fire is one that's taken a, a lot of uh, attention and conversation in his last couple of starts. Of course, we have to mention he was trained by Jason Service. He moved to the barn of Kelly Breen. And for those who are not familiar, for those horses coming from Jason Service or Jorge Navarro, have to wait a period of time. They have to work in front of a track vet, pass a, a certain number of tests, be able to get off the vet list and provide... Um, approved information that they're ready to race and, and back in, in healthy form with their new trainer. And I think that when he came back in, in the run happy Carter, two starts back, I'm willing to forgive him because of that, because it was his first time with Kelly Breen. He had been off for a little while. I had even read a lot of quotes from Kelly saying that he had been struggling a little bit with the type of training methods for this horse because uh, typical Jason service training was a slow morning workout. So you would not see bullet workouts in the morning. And so Kelly Breen had said he was trying to keep a pattern for this horse. Horses love routines, but also put some of his own his own training methods into him as well. And he, he ran 
okay. I mean, he was uh, beaten by um, Vekoma, who's certainly been at the top of his game uh, in the division right now, clearly. But when he came back for Enze Fire to win the True North, that was a, a sign to me that Kelly Breen had really figured him out because wherever he's coming from, at the end of the day, he clearly is a very talented horse, and it's great to see him flourishing with his new connections. Yeah, Fukoma being the Met Mao winner for anyone that yeah. had missed it. I don't know how you would because it was incredible. <laughs> if you did, Fukoma Met Mao, and as we mentioned, horse coming from Jason Sears and Jorge Navarre, they uh, they used certain sub- substances that weren't allowed, and hence those horses have to just mm-hmm. be double checked in the best interest of the horse and everyone in the sport involved to make sure that we're all doing the right thing. So indeed, everyone keeps saying we have to be careful, but there have been horses that have been winning for mm-hmm. their new trainer. So it certainly doesn't mean that these horses don't have that natural talent and can move on. And as you mentioned, Friends Fire is a very interesting horse. Uh, let's move on to some of the other stuff that's coming up at Saratoga. What would you be looking forward to most? The Run Happy Travers is obviously a big uh, hallmark race of the meet, and tis the law pointing to that, but I'm really excited for the Whitney. I won't lie. Um, Al Stahl was here in Saratoga this past week, got to interview him and hear an update from Tom Seta, who I mentioned is seven. I think that he's probably at the top of the classic division right now, and he's pointing to the Whitney, and Al said he's here in Saratoga. He, he was training well, acting well, coming up from Kentucky, and he said he's really just kind of found the fountain of youth which I think is awesome. Big fan of that horse and Code of Honor pointing to the Whitney as well. He also ran in the Met Mile where I thought he overcame the most adversity in that race and I was looking forward to getting to see him stretch out again in the Whitney. So I think it's going to be a great race. It's coming up in about a week and a half now, isn't it? Not this weekend, the weekend after. I think about 12, 13 days away. Yes. Oh, very, very exciting. And This is actually an interesting, this kind of ties into what I wanted to discuss as well. Looking at the jockeys that will be able to come up to ride these. So so the big races such as the Whitney, the Travis, we've normally seen influx of jockeys from across the country, jockeys from California or anyone based at Florida. If they have them out, they're going to be Mm -hmm. here. Unfortunately, that is not going to be the case this year. There have been restrictions put in place in the, at the majority of tracks. Uh, obviously, Del Mar had to temporarily close down. Is planning to start up again shortly. Saratoga has put into place that only the local jockey colony or when you're considered a local jockey, you're allowed to ride. How do you think that's going to affect our big races? And how are these jockeys going to sort of handicap their way through this season because it feels like that's what they have to do they do well it makes everything a lot more of a rider's race that's for sure it's still the 22 23 jockeys that are listed in the condition book um, that are able to ride so the rules if you're not familiar is that opening day of saratoga which was this past thursday if you ride at a different track on or after that day, you cannot come and ride at Saratoga. And if you start and ride at the beginning of the meet, leave to go ride elsewhere, you cannot return. Which given things that happened uh, in California with Los, Alam- Los Alamitos and Del Mar having to close down, I just think it's the right choice as far as safety. Having to put some more restrictions in place, we're all under restrictions right now. And a lot of the jockeys I've spoken to have been in favor of this move because they want to protect their health as well. It's worth it to take those restrictions so that we can keep racing and not have to stop everything again. Um, Luis Saez tested positive after riding at Indiana Grand and, and in Kentucky as well. He quarantined and reportedly is going to be able to come back in the next few days, having 
being able to produce a negative test. So that's great. He hasn't been riding anywhere. He's been in quarantine. He's able to come back, but now he'll have to stay here at Saratoga. So it does make things a little bit difficult. Jockeys would have gone out of town this past week to ride the Haskell at Monmouth. A lot of people had plans to go there, but these are unprecedented times and we just have to do what's best for the game right now. You're very notable that Mike Smith did opt to ride the Haskell successfully yes, with Avengers. Yes. So great choice on his, his behalf, but also means that he can't come here to mm-hmm. ride the Whitney like he did to win last year on McKinsey. Yeah. So it's a it's a very interesting and, and delicate situation, I feel, as well. There was actually an article today in the Thoroughbred Daily News about if they're going to restrict jockeys coming in for the Kentucky Derby and the Kentucky Oaks and what what is the right thing to do there because I'm very much wondering what kind of restrictions they'll end up putting in place because we want to, like you mentioned, protect all the jockeys. What, what do you think would be the best thing for them to do and how do you think that's going to play out because it's just kind of mind-boggling, isn't it? It is. Well, it's a different schedule this year too. The Kentucky Derby is now September 5th. So the Oaks is September 4th, which does coincide with closing week of Saratoga. So things are going to be a little bit difficult as far as what's happening on the schedule there. Um, I think that there will have to be some restrictions put in place. I, I think it would be very unfair at this point for the Kentucky Derby to be limited to local jocks because there's enough time to plan. And and I hope that there are plans being put in place right now. You think of somebody like Manny Franco, who's been with Tis the Law from the beginning. He's riding regularly here at Saratoga. So we'll, we'll have to see. It could put things in a little bit of a delicate balance, making it pretty light with riders closing week of Saratoga if there are extra restrictions put in place for the Kentucky Derby. But I know that it's been a conversation that's been brought up already and jockeys and their agents are working hard to make sure because you want to have a mount in the Kentucky Derby. Why wouldn't you? Or Kentucky Oaks, whatever kind of big days it is. And I'm sure if you're there for the Derby, you'll ride other races on that day as well. And then Belmont starts right up shortly thereafter. So there will have to be some conversations and protocols put in place, but hopefully we can navigate the tricky waters. Could you imagine Manny Franco, Tisdenal being his breakout horse, his, this is the horse that's put him on the map. He won the Belmont Stakes with him to get that ride in the Kentucky Derby. I mean, it's just, it's a situation that we're in, but it also, it's very, you know, it would be very upsetting if he didn't get the chance, wouldn't it? Absolutely. And uh, I think that, no matter what happens, Manny's going to do everything he can to make sure he can ride to the lawn, the derby. I mean, I certainly would if I were him. It's, it's an interesting one because we discussed it and we'll tread very lightly with this. Um, something that was mentioned in the article was also about jockeys that have tested positive if that is um, a good thing in a way because they thought that maybe then they would be less likely to have it again because this is about owners trying to figure out if their jockey's going to be able to commit to riding their horses, which is a lot of uncertainty involved. Would you think that they would go for jockeys that they that, that have had it before because they were said that it's less likely to have them again? I don't think that's going to be the case, but it was a weird, interesting sort of mm. n- another angle to this whole complex situation. It may be comforting for some. Um, personally, it, it wouldn't make a difference to me if I was an owner or trainer looking for a jockey for my horse because... We have seen cases where people have tested positive for COVID-19 and come down with it again or had residual effects of it. We just don't know enough about the virus right now. So um, one of the things that I can think of is that 
something we've done here at Saratoga because it's a smaller docks room is that they've taken over some of the close by executive offices to give more space, more room for social distancing. There's no use of the sauna. There are a lot more restrictions in place. Um, consistent use of masks for everybody on track, jockeys included. And if there are crowds at Churchill Downs, I can't imagine it will be the usual amount of people that we see there on Kentucky Derby and Kentucky Oaks Day. So hopefully that allows for some more space to be used for the jockeys such that if there are other riders coming in from out of town, on that week or any time before, they're able to even go in a separate place and keep as much social distancing as possible. Let's talk about the horses. At least we know that they're going to be there. <laughs> well, you hope, because yeah. we've had a fair few of the top contenders, unfortunately, come down with injuries mm-hmm. and not being able to compete because, as you mentioned, the Kentucky Derby is later in the year than is usual. But um, Kentucky Derby leaderboard, Tis the Law, towers over the field with 272 points. Now, he recently worked a five furlong bullet at the Spa in 59 and 3. What were your thoughts on that effort? How has he been preparing for Barkley Tag? He looked great, as he always does, and I thought it was a very similar style workout to the one that we saw right before the Belmont Stakes. Uh, He was ridden in this past workout by Heather Smullen, who's Robin Smullen's niece. Robin, of course, uh, a mainstay in the Barkley Tag operation, and Heather, a really talented rider in Noel from Florida, and she does a great job, and um, she handled him beautifully because he's just so strong. He's not a very tall horse. He's broad, but he's not very big and imposing type. And um, so he hasn't really, you know, grown a lot in the last year or so, but mentally you can see that he's really flourished and he just has that that strong strength and he does everything with such ease. And one thing I always love about him is his gallop outs with his works. Yeah, the, the work itself is fast and it's great, but by the time you're finally able to pull him up, whether it's Robin or Heather or even Manny Franco working him, he's galloped out even an, an extra furlong or two because he just really has it all in him. So they're trying to contain him as much as possible right now before the Travers. Yeah, I remember watching his work, which is available on XBTV for anyone that wants to watch it back. He was already again on the backside by the time he finished galloping out. He was basically telling Heather, hey, um, I can go a bit further if you want me to. I can do more. (laughs) But I think it'll be exciting because the Belmont Stakes not only was different in that it kicked off the Triple Crown this year, but it was also a different distance than it normally is. It was a mile and an eighth, which is just one turn around the Belmont Oval. He did win a mile and an eighth at Gulfstream in the Florida Derby, which is two turns, but it's it's um, basically the way it's set up at Gulfstream is they break right in front of the finish line. It's really short into the first turn, and they do that full lap around. And he was dominant there. He was dominant going the one-turn mile in eighth. And um, I see no reason why he shouldn't be dominant in the Travers as well, moving on to the Derby and Preakness. I hope he gets the quadruple crown this year. What a year. What a year that would be. If you'd have to tout another horse for this year's Kentucky Derby, which direction would you go in? I'm really intrigued by Honor AP. 
And he won the Santa Anita Derby uh, last time out. And that's one of the nice things about the new format this year is that we get to see some kind of later developing horses. Um, he certainly was flattered with Authentic coming back to win the Haskell. And Authentic is still a very tricky horse. I think mentally he's behind some of the others um, in his class, but he obviously has some raw talent. We'll see how he handles the increasing distances too. Um, but Honor AP, by honor code, he really has that AP Indy low head running style. He looks like his sire. He's stunning on track, but I think he's very good. And he's one that's been allowed to develop and um, come around a little bit later than anticipated because the Santa Anita Derby was later than it would have originally been too. So that is one of the cool things about this year is we get to see some new faces popping up later. Everybody brings up the story of Arrogate's Travers win for Bob Baffert. Nobody had really heard of him until then. And then he went on to win the Breeders' Cup Classic. If the Kentucky Derby had been in September that year, I mean, how short a price would Arrogate have been then? Yeah, Which is absolutely. Crazy. Yeah, yeah, the mighty Arrogate. Uh, may he rest in peace. That of sounds course, really, yeah. Very sad. Yeah, yeah. His uh, Dubai World Cup win was one for that the ages was, yeah, as that well. That was impressive. So I, when I was in Dubai, I made it a point to watch back every single Breeders' <laughs> pre Cup. Dubai World <laughs> Cup because whilst you're there that's what you do right yeah. you should watch back every single Dubai World Cup of course I was very fortunate that, to be there last year when Thundersnow made it a dual Dubai World Cup when rewriting history but uh, let's get back to the USA <laughs> uh, something let's let's go in a bit of a different direction because you've done different things throughout your career you hosted the Eclipse Awards for the first time last year together with Gabby Godet and Brittany Erton. Now, the first thing that came up for me when I was thinking of what I wanted to ask you about was how were the nerves? <laughs> I was actually okay. Of the three of us, I was I was the calmest, um, and that's just oh, they like you saying that. <laughs> no, no, I know. Uh, no, I'm just saying. I, maybe that was a bad thing. I'm just saying, um, just because of pageant experience, I get way more nervous, like hosting a TV show where Brittany and Gabby are like way more calm in that situation. So that's just kind of, they're not one and the same hosting in front of a crowd and being on camera. For me, the being on camera part was always the more scary kind of situation, which is kind of crazy because there's no people looking back at you. But I always felt like I was staring at a black hole with the camera in front of you. Um, but doing pageants and speaking a lot and emceeing a ton of things. I mean, that's like what I love being in my element. So I was really excited. It was a tremendous honor. The Eclipse Awards are like the Academy, the Academy Awards of racing. And I loved that there was such a theme of aftercare in this year's Eclipse Awards. And that was such an emphasis and a, and a, a woven thread throughout the whole show. So being able to be part of such a historic thing and an important thing in our sport where we also put an emphasis on a discussion that needs to be had and has become more part of the in the forefront but still can be focused on more and uh, that was really special to be part of all of that well we'll get back to the aftercare aspect in a little <laughs> bit because you are very heavily involved in yes. aftercare together with your family i'm still going back to the eclipse award it's a sort of notoriously difficult audience it's a tricky <laughs> night to as a host or as well to produce because uh, some of the speeches run quite lengthy uh, people also want to thank everyone and you know it's 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 a very knowledgeable crowd this is the top of the top of our industry breeding racing 
how do you prepare for something like that? How do you entertain them? <laughs> we um we we took this very seriously, the three of us, and it was something that. At first, we were a little bit nervous about it because everybody kept telling us, oh, you know, good luck. It's a tough crowd. We're like, oh, gee, thanks. You're really making me feel excited about it. <laughs> but then we all kind of, and it was actually Brittany who brought it up. She was like, we interview these people every day. We talk to them. Like, these are our colleagues more than anything. We're, we're a part of the industry. We're all three associated in some way. Um, and so that was kind of a comfort as well. So we decided uh, to have a few running jokes throughout to not be too much of comedians to focus on the themes of the show. But um, uh, Ma Jim McInvale was very uh, a, much a good sport with Run Happy because it was the Run Happy Eclipse Awards on the weekend of the Pegasus World Cup presented by Run Happy. And there were several races that were sponsored by Run Happy throughout the show. And Run Happy was also part of many of the commercials and signs and everything. So we kind of made it into a drinking game. And that was our opening was, all right, cheers, everybody. <laughs> Welcome to the Run Happy Eclipse Awards. And so that kind of lightened the mood right from the beginning. I think that helped. I think if we would do that as the production team, we'd be drunk before oh, yeah, the first we'd be on the hour floor. We'd be on the show. Floor. <laughs> <laughs> he is uh, very heavily involved in the sponsorship, which we obviously thank him for because of the oh, it's tremendous, tremendous amount of support. It's tremendous. I don't know if anybody has supported hit not only his stallion, but the game of racing, the sport of racing on such a, a big level as Mattress Mac has. And I was privileged enough to interview him last year on, on Happy Traverse Day. And um, take a shot, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go, guys. <laughs> uh, but he was just so gracious about it. And I mean, you see him like wake up, passing donuts out to everybody in line, coming into Saratoga and, and the charitable things that he does as well. It's not just about promoting. It's also about putting back into something that's given you so much. Where are the run happy masks? Ooh, I'm yeah, we got to get on those. I'm sure they're out there somewhere. I'm sure they're out there. It has to come up in his mind. I'm sure it has everything to. else. I know it has to have. Yeah. I nearly catch myself during work when we're doing something. Sometimes we go sponsored by Run Happy, provided by Run Happy, because <laughs> it's just it's always on your mind. Which, yeah. in a way, hence means he's it's done a, a phenomenal job. Marketing tactic. Yeah, Absolutely. he's done a great job. It's never far from your mind. Yeah. Not for us, anyway. Yes, that's uh, true. Let's move on to actually. We'll, we'll get back to the, the broadcasting aspects because I'd love to ask you about what your goals are like within this industry and, and possibly without. Now, we sometimes in private discuss this a little bit, but I'd love for you to share that with our audience today. I think one of the biggest goals uh, currently is just to continue growing in the role that I'm in. And as you mentioned at the start, I've been lucky that I haven't um, been kind of pigeonholed into one role, which is not a bad thing either. I, I think there's some comfort in that too. But for me and my personality type, I've actually really enjoyed working and sometimes all in one day as a host, an analyst, and a reporter in, in all the different aspects of the show and uh, of racing as far as being an on-air individual in here. So I think that that's... Um, that's been 
a good challenge. It keeps you from getting complacent, which I still think it's hard to get complacent in racing because even though we have the same races or the same type of format of racing, it's never boring. It's never the same thing every day. And I think you're really doomed if you ever get comfortable in one situation and think that you can stop trying to learn. I'm always trying to become a better handicapper, to become better at how to bet, how to make tickets for the public, whether it's pick six or whatever it might be, better at interviews, better at um, describing what I see or analyzing races. So, and those are things that working with the people that I do, I learn so much from my colleagues. I mean, we have such a star-studded show and, and I'm definitely the new kid on the block, but it, it's cool because I really do learn a lot working with those people. So. That's the immediate goal is just to kind of hone myself. I'm really lucky that I have two incredible companies that support me in, um, in Naira and the Fox Sports shows and Gulfstream Park and the Stronic Group and the work that I do with them. So I feel incredibly fortunate and I love the schedule I have right now. Um, so I, I'm really hoping that I can I can help elevate their product as well. Um, long term, I'm not really sure because I, I really do, um, I really do enjoy what I do. You know, obviously, uh, someday down the road, I'd love to have a family and things like that. But um, I'm, I'm very satisfied with the goals that my job brings me every day. And so I'm kind of a, let's see where the road takes us right now. First thing that came on was like, Miguel, are you listening? <laughs> My boyfriend, yes. <laughs> also, it's great to have a partner who's also heavily involved in the industry. Assistant yes. trainer to his father, Christophe Clement. What a start have they made, the yeah. Saratoga? No, they've, they've really done tremendously well. And I'm thrilled for them because they they do it the right way. And obviously, I'm, I'm close to the operation to the family, but um, never had a medication positive. The horse always comes first, have had some tremendous runners, Geoponte, Tonalist, and it's exciting to see somebody like Decorated Invader kind of take over the mantle now and that'd be perfect in 2020 and winning all these big races. So it's great because it really is a team that works so hard and it is such a team effort. And so it's really exciting to see the, the hard work paying off. And keeping it in the family, you started racing for home together with your mother, yes. really supporting the aftercare cause. When did you set up shop and how has it been going? I started the organization in 2009. I was 17 at the time, so I was young and I had no association into the sport of horse racing at the time, but I grew up riding. I started riding when I was eight and uh, actually in the lesson program that I was in, I used to ride an ex-racehorse, an OTTV, her name was Siren, and nobody else wanted to ride her in the program because she went so fast and there was these the stigma that she was hot-blooded and that she was hard to handle. And I loved her and I was fearless as a kid. You just fly over the jumps and we'd get ribbons together and it was great. And I never forgot that because she was so, she was so willing to please. She was so much more responsive than some of the other horses that I rode. And I felt like we actually were able to build a great connection together. So when I was finishing high school, uh, my mom and I had actually started doing research on the thoroughbred because we wanted to to get a horse and we had decided we wanted a thoroughbred and I had come across an article um, that some thoroughbreds when they're done racing or they've been injured end up in a bad situation 
could potentially end up going to slaughter. And I was horrified because I hadn't known about this story. So we ended up going to the backside at Suffolk Downs in Massachusetts, which is no longer standing, unfortunately. But um, we went there and worked with an organization called Cantor New England, which helps to network X-race horses on the backside. And we ended up leaving with um, the last thing we expected, which was a chestnut mare. It's not what we wanted, but that's what we got. And she's still with us, and she was the best thing ever. Her name was Palestiva, and she was really a catalyst into starting this organization. So when we first got her off the track, though, we had a hard time where we lived in Connecticut, finding a barn that was willing to take a thoroughbred off the track because there were so many bad uh, associations with a hard to handle hot thoroughbred off the track. So we we ended up finding this one trainer, Katie Anderson, who's also still with us and is, is wonderful. And she was willing to take on the project of an ex-race horse. And then we said, you know what, there's so many more that need help. And my mom said, well, if you want to do this, you have to do it the right way. So I got the giant stack of forms and I got 501c3 status to make it a official nonprofit. And we started very slowly but surely. And over the last few years, after I was swept into the world of horse racing and obviously know a lot more people in the industry now, we took the next step to make it even more official in being accredited by the Thoroughbred Aftercare Alliance, which only has 74 organizations of this time that are accredited under their very high level of standards. It's very, very tough to pass, but we're really proud that we meet their standards and that we are an organization that they hold to that level. Um, and it's it's flattering when I have trainers or owners reach out to me and say, hey, I have a horse that I want to retire, can you help? And the conversation has really grown so much over the last 10 years and there's so much more accountability. We still have a long way to go, but I really take my hat off to the people who put so much emphasis on doing right by their horses, not just on the track, but afterwards as well. Uh, the TAA, I did a project on them with the Godolphin Flying Start as part of our lawyer course back mm -hmm. in Lexington. And their standards for accreditation are incredibly high. We're talking yes. about... <laughs> I don't know how many pages the rules are, but it's a lot. It's, it's a lot. So very, very well done on that front. Uh, how do you, in terms of the organization itself, this is always a question that comes to mind. How do you fund this? Because it's a, you know, a nonprofit. Mm -hmm. This is very tricky. Rehoming a racehorse requires time, resources, facilities. How does this work? We do receive funds uh, from the TAA on a bi-yearly basis. It's, um, we are a small organization and they do cover a lot. So they, they are um, stretched pretty tight as well as to how much funds they can give, but it is a big help as well. We apply for private grants, which is time consuming too, uh, whether it's a hay grant or a dental work grant or a grant for helping with shoeing vet bills, there are so many things. And we also rely on private donations. So as we are a 501c3, it's a tax write-off. And um, we are really always so grateful to anybody that chooses to support us and to help a lot of um, the individuals who will adopt horses out with us will send them with a donation because sometimes we'll get a horse off the track and it's not as simple as just shipping them to our farm. Sometimes they need 
a year to just sit in the paddock and take up space and be fed and have the vet come and you're not even doing anything with them yet. But so that's why we keep it small. We like to stay around 10 to 12. We have 10 currently in our program as things have been tougher as far as donations with COVID-19 over the last couple of months too. But we're able to be really hands-on with all of these horses and make sure that they get the exact care that they need. So we're grateful to those that have helped, but it's it's not an easy task. If people want to reach out to you to make a, a private donation or even inquire about rehoming a horse with you, how would they get in touch? Our website is racingforhomeinc.com, spell out the word F-O-R, racingforhomeinc.com. We're on PayPal as well. And there's also uh, an address there where we can accept mail donations if you'd rather do that. But all of the information's on the website. We're on social media as well. So feel free to follow on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and get some happy positive updates of all of our X-ray sources. But anything is always really greatly appreci- appreciated. Well, it very much ties in with some of the partners we have in the Money Media. We're, we're big on promoting aftercare organizations and making sure that these thoroughbreds get the care they need after having raced for us and having you know tried their heart out like thoroughbreds do. Let's move on to another subject, which is a passion of yours. You competed in different pageant uh, competitions. Yes. Is that how, how I would yes. call them? Yeah, pageant that's good. Competitions. <laughs> that's good. <laughs> and you were combining that while with your duties at Gulfstream Park, which must have provided for a hectic schedule, to say the least. <laughs> uh, what was that like for you? And uh, talk about your most important moment, uh, winning the Connecticut, Miss Connecticut title. Uh, what was that like? And basically describe to us what this passion means to you and how it works because I come from Europe where it's not as big so all I know about it is that I've seen it on TV <laughs> um yeah that was that was a pretty crazy year last year I won Miss Connecticut USA in January and then for the next three and a half months I was working full-time at Gulfstream also preparing for Miss USA which was in April so it was insane. Um, and I'm really, really grateful to Gulfstream Park and Stronic Group, who was so supportive of me just going for my dream, which was amazing to have a company that was encouraging that. So and I got to compete at Miss USA. Um, I also competed at Miss America. There are two separate organizations, two separate pageants. You have to start from the beginning again. Um, so it was Miss Connecticut, in the Miss America system in 2014 and finished top 15 in Miss America. And then I was Miss Connecticut USA in 2019 and competed in that year's Miss USA pageant. So it was just something that looking back, I didn't ever want to regret not trying. That's why I decided to give it another go last year, which it feels like so much longer ago too, because uh, so much has happened since then. But I, I always say, that you can't fear failure, but I wouldn't want to fear regretting not trying. I wouldn't want to regret not going for it. So I decided to go for it. And I think that was one of the biggest things that pageantry taught me. It also was what brought me into broadcast journalism and and speaking because growing up, I was actually very shy and kind of reserved. And I was a dancer and did ballet and I didn't really talk in class that much. And now I actually talk for my living. So doing pageants really opened me up a lot, brought me a lot of confidence and just finding 
myself as a woman and, and my own strength and my own power and not being afraid to ask for what I want too. A lot of, um, a lot of the questions I get about pageantry as to whether it's demeaning, but it's something that I signed up to do and it was something that helped me to find my own voice and promote something that I cared about. So I will never be sorry for competing in pageants or holding a Miss Connecticut title. And um, it, it does cause some people to look at me a different way, but hey, it'll start a conversation and then I'll prove them wrong. It definitely starts a conversation deep because one of my questions was going to be about some sentiments uh, of people saying it's objectifying to women. And I know that uh, the Miss America pageant has abandoned the swimsuit section. Uh, what are your thoughts towards this? It is a change um, in the tradition, which I think that traditions need to be reevaluated often. Uh, things change throughout history. The world changes. And um, I know that there were many who were in favor of that decision. Um, personally, I, I was not. Um, I felt when I competed at Miss America, I, I did everything in a very healthy way. I never felt that I was forced to be too skinny. Um, I was always more athletic type. Like I said, I was a dancer. I was very active. Um, I'm kind of sh straight up and down in my waist. You know, there's, there's those things that you can't change about your body and that's what it is. But it also encouraged so much hard work. Um, Miss America has a, a large emphasis on the interview portion of competition, a large emphasis on the talent. And swimsuit was one of the lower percentages, as was um, the evening gown. But I think it was more a how you present yourself, the, the work that you put into yourself. We still see throughout the media the emphasis on New Year's resolutions to go to the gym and lose weight quickly. And it was never that. It was never that. It was more the being the best version of yourself that you could possibly be. Talking about New Year's resolutions, I dare say 2020 has been a bit of a <laughs> slap in the face of both of us. Let's, let's just skip it. It's, it's, I don't know if it counts. <laughs> what has it been like throughout this difficult pandemic uh, at Gulfstream Park to just get back to racing again? Mm -hmm. uh, Gulfstream Park was one of the few racetracks that continued mm -hmm. operating throughout all of this. Uh, was there any time that you guys obviously were afraid of closing down as well I was at Laurel Park uh, the job that I have partly because of you as an on-air analyst there and we unfortunately had to close doors for the time being because of everything that's going on and you know I was just watching uh, Gulfstream Park every day <laughs> and uh, a lot of people were which was cool um, I did podcasts and guest spots in New Zealand and in South Africa and um, England and had uh, some people reach out to me from Venezuela and Latin American countries and so it was really cool and uh, it was cool to see racing come to some new audiences as there weren't many other sports that they could watch unless you were watching replays of um, March Madness or, or championship games whatever it might have been but it was a little bit scary, I will, I will admit, because we just didn't know. I remember so vividly in mid-March when we announced at Gulfstream that the doors would be closed to the public, to the fans, 
And everybody kind of said, okay, well, we're two weeks from the Florida Derby. So we've heard at this time, two weeks is like the quarantine period. So we'll be able to open back up and have the Florida Derby like regular. And obviously that didn't (laughs) happen in any way, shape or form. I feel really lucky that I never had to stop working, that I, I was able to continue. And I also feel really lucky to have been a part of that where so many horsemen were just so grateful that they were able to still run because New York closed around that time as well. So a lot of trainers who were due to ship up to New York at the end of the championship meet at Gulfstream, which is the end of March, stayed in Florida and were able to continue training like regular to continue racing. And and it wasn't the case for many, many people and, and many operations, but I was really happy that there was at least some semblance of normalcy there. Um, when I left Florida was the end of May to come back up for the start of Belmont on June 3rd. And at that time, things in Florida were really good, but you already seeing that there were definitely some areas that were not taking the pandemic as seriously as it needed to be, which is frustrating because we had so many restrictions in place and we're good for so long. And I feel like then it's kind of thrown out the door when you have large crowds and no masks and no social distancing and numbers rise like they have. So I also feel lucky that I came up to New York at the right time and that we've been really good here, knock on wood. So um, it was it was very scary because there was just so much uncertainty. And I think that everybody can identify with that. We didn't know when it was going to be done. We didn't know when the doors would open. I mean, there was every day for a stretch, those two weeks leading up to the Florida Derby, we kept wondering if we were going to have to close our doors as many other tracks did the same. So it was kind of a, a nice story of resiliency as well. And you were you just mentioned that uh, trainers weren't able to ship up to different tracks, which is part of the normal structure mm-hmm. of American racing. That it's a nomad lifestyle. People move from track to track in relation to the meets. Yeah. I'm to- a snowbird and I'm 27. <laughs> <laughs> Thankfully, you have your partners in racing too, so you can kind of move together, mm-hmm. which really makes a difference. But for trainers, all of a sudden, they had to figure out. Could they stay somewhere? Where were they going to go? As well as their staff not being able to go home in a way. Do, do you know of any people that have had that experience or what has it been like for you? Well, I know that it's been tough um, for staff as well because of the restrictions and coming into the country. A lot of um, workers on the backside come from Mexico or, or Puerto Rico or other um crossing over the borders. I I know uh, Mexican workers in general had a lot of difficulty or riders coming from Europe wanting to come work in the winter at operations in Florida. That's a common thing. Or riders coming up to work in the summer at Saratoga, whatever it might be. And we weren't able to have that. So I know that that had been a big struggle. And you see it a lot because, like I said, racing closed down in New York. Training never stopped. But there was no racing, so think about it. There was no claiming. There was no pointing towards a particular race. A lot of the two-year-olds that were supposed to come into the barn from the farms in those months didn't in March, April, May. So some operations are behind because of that, because they weren't able to bring in the next influx of horses because they weren't able to move their operations, as was normally the schedule. So I know that that's been a really big challenge. We're going to have to wrap this up because you have a very busy, busy schedule. So I'm just going to tie it back into Saratoga, which is where we both are going to be for the next foreseeable couple of weeks. So two different but also similar questions. I'll start with the, 
the bad one and then the good one. <laughs> what was being the majority of time in at Saratoga, you've been a panic paddock reporter analyst. You look at the horses, you look at what you see. What has been your biggest blooper or bad moment in the paddock? Because surely there must have been a moment that you're like, oh God, what did I just do? <laughs> um, I've had a few of those. Uh, let's see, what's the worst? There, uh, there have been a, I mean, how PG do I have to be on this podcast? I guess that's the question. Quite, no, we're quite free, so you can say whatever. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we're quite free here. Um, yeah. <laughs> there was actually, I think most of the bloopers have been at Gulfstream because the, the guys that I work with there and Jason Blewett and Ron Nicoletti just like live to make me laugh. Um, one, uh, one thing, it wasn't actually me. Ron sneezed on air one time and I just could not stop laughing. So that, that's usually a scenario, um, where I end up with a fit of the giggles and I'm like basically have to be taken off air. Um, so that's happened a few times. Anybody that watches Gulfstream regularly knows that that's happened a few times. Um, I think the biggest thing was I lost my train of thought and my boss at Gulfstream, Dave jo Joseph, took a video of this and likes to play it every time he wants to just give me a hard time. And you know Dave well, so you know um, his dry sense of humor <laughs> and how he just like lives for moments like these. So I was talking, I don't even remember what I was talking about. Clearly it was such an important thought process, but I totally lost where I was going and I was talking with my hands like I do and I was just rambling and I looked at Jason and I just go, I don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> and so my boss is like, I'm so glad I have you on TV to tell people that are trying to bet when you don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> so <laughs> that went well. <laughs> that went well. That things just happen when you're on air there and you just notice and there's just nothing you can do about it in the moment. You know, and knowing Dave Joseph, because he's also my boss down at Laurel Park, even though he's in Florida, obviously Stronach Group, uh, similar setup in terms of their broadcasting. So knowing he would definitely <laughs> appreciate that indeed. <laughs> I, will kind of, I don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> and he's like, yeah, great hire that occasion. <laughs> <laughs> hey, well, you got to admit when, when you don't know, or at least when you can't follow your own sentences right. anymore. <laughs> we'll finish it off with the nice question. What would have been your best moment in the paddock or on air? Something you think, you know what, that was a great day moment. This made me proud. This made me emotional. This was just, I was so happy to be here. And I really translated that well to the audience. I would put it as uh, the Pegasus World Cup. Um, we've had now four runnings of the race at Gulfstream. And it was pretty cool to be part of something that was so new and, and inventive. Um, and for those that, that don't know, not only am I paddock reporter and analyst at Gulfstream, but I also um, and basically work as an assistant producer role. So I handle the content that we're going to be putting on air, feature productions, things like that, particularly for big race days like the Preakness Stakes and Pegasus World Cup, Florida Derby, things like that. And the Pegasus has kind of been my baby um, as far as what we've been producing. And this year we did a, a show on a local Fox network the week before leading up to it that I put all together um, in addition to hosting the Eclipse Awards and doing everything else that I was doing in my regular job. And then on the day of the Pegasus, there were, I think, nine graded stakes uh, in addition to the two Pegasus World Cup races 
And then through those last two races, I tried to make it like a real show, a real broadcast with features and analysis and interviews and seeing that all come together this year, I thought was the best that we've done and the smoothest. And I was really proud of it because it was a lot of hard work, but it all came together really beautifully and getting to, um, to, like I said, to be part of some of those really big performances. And it didn't rain this year like last year when I was drenched in City of Light. So um, it was it was very special and definitely a prideful moment for me. On that high note, we'll finish off the interview. Thank you so much for joining me here today, Keja. Always a pleasure. Thank you for having me. Moving on to Tyler Gaflione. Uh, there were a bit of connectivity problems in this new house I'm staying at meaning I sound like I'm on the phone and quite far away as well. But you know what? That doesn't matter because Tyler sounds crystal clear. First things first, how are you doing, Tyler? Ah, Everything's really good. Uh, Enjoying our time up here. It must be nice to be up at Saratoga, a little bit sort of quiet away from the hustle and bustle, some of the other places that you'd ride at. Oh, absolutely. This is such a fun little town. It's always a good time coming up here, but it's a little strange this year, but I mean, that's kind of becoming the norm. It's very different for everyone, I'm afraid. and It's probably not going to end anytime soon, I'd say, either. So in a weird way, we're trying to all get used to it. But uh, I'll get back to all of those aspects shortly, because I'd love to sort of get your take on what's going on in terms of the quarantine and move from one track to the other. But Love to start out with saying you've made a strong start to the Saratoga meet, most notably edging out Crystal Ball in the CCA Oaks with the Belmont-trained Paris Lights. You've ridden her in each of her four starts thus far. Could you tell us a little about her and what her plans might look like this season? Uh, she, she's she's a very nice filly. She has a lot of class to her. She's big, strong, uh, very mature. Um, kind of just takes everything in, but Ever since the first time I got on her, um, Billy, Bill's assistant, uh, Kenny, he was at Gulfstream that day, and he told me that she'd been working well. Uh, she's a little more forward than their normal, normal first-time starters, and he thought that she had potential. And she ran a really well race that day. Um, it was in the slop. Showed a little bit of speed, kind of spotty in between courses, but um, it was a great experience for her, and she finished up well that day. And then after her maiden score, at Churchill, uh, Mr. Mott decided he was going to run her back in a lounge race uh, instead of going into a stake. And, I mean, I think it was great for her. She was able to get the first race against winners, and she drew off impressively that day, much more professional. And, um, you know, a lot of the credit goes to Mr. Mott and his team. They've shown in, in the past they do such a great job developing horses and bringing them along and turning them into – quality horses but uh she she's really nice uh, she does everything you ask of her she's very forward breaks well and uh, i love riding her <laughs> well she's very gutsy as well she really put her head down for you in that last effort in the cca oaks because that was quite the battle between her and crystal ball absolutely you know her, her past two races she went so impressively she never she was really never challenged and to see her fight like that, it just showed a whole nother dimension and a whole nother side of her. It's, just, it's the kind of filly you want go- moving forward. Do you think that she would have gained valuable experience during that race as well? Oh, absolutely. I mean, 
that was I definitely your biggest test so far, stretching out to mile and eighth, having to battle with that Philly almost the whole race. Um, they're basically within a half length of each other throughout the whole race. And to show that grit, I mean, it speaks to her potential. Do you know what other races they might have in mind for her this season? Have they shared a little bit of their plans with you? Um, as far as I know, my agent spoke with Mr. Walden of Winstar, and they're considering training her into the Kentucky Oaks. Uh, originally, they had planned on possibly running her in Alabama, but just uh, so many races in such a short time span. Um, they're going to make a decision this week, and we should know more. Very much looking forward to getting the update on her. I'd love to see her in the Kentucky Oaks. That would be great. But uh, I actually chatted with Acacia about this yesterday. I, I know that it's an ever-changing situation, but you'd hope you'd still get the chance to go up to Kentucky with her to compete in the Kentucky Derby. Would you be going down there to be based down there so you're part of the local colony, if that's the case? I'm not sure exactly how it's all going to work. I saw a report yesterday saying that um, they're under consideration making it local riders. But um, if if necessary, I'd spoke to my agent. Uh, we would leave Saratoga a little bit early, possibly, and um, go quarantine in Kentucky for two weeks leading up to the race. She definitely would be worth it, wouldn't she? Oh, absolutely. It's hard to pass up horses like that. <laughs> Well, let's talk a little bit more about the Saratoga meet. You've made a, a good start so far. I mean, a great start, really. <laughs> Who are some of the horses, the other horses that you're very excited to ride at the spot this season? Uh, you know, with everything changing this year, uh, we're not really sure who's going to be running and who's not. Uh, a lot of, of our horses are based in Kentucky. Um, I know Mark Cassie mentioned that he's either going to run War of Will or... Uh, got Stormy in, in the four-star Dave, so we have that to look forward to. I ride a really nice horse for Mike Maker named Zulu Alpha. I think he's going to skip the race here and running Kentucky Downs, if I'm not mistaken. Um, Lamester for Rusty Arnold. He, I'm not really sure. He might either run here. Uh, he, he he won the Troy here last year, but um, there's also a race for him at Kentucky Downs, so it just depends on timing. Just because uh, everything kind of got squeezed in the, the same time frame. So it, it, we're not really sure who's going to go where. That's a very tricky one. I'd love to get back to some of the horses that you just mentioned. Of course, 2019 Preakness, Victor, War of Will. You quite recently added uh, another grade one victory to his resume. The Maker's Mark Mao at Keeneland. He's very adapt on dirt. But would you say that getting on that grass increase his potential even further they always thought he was a turf horse um from the beginning of his career they started him out on the turf and he just he worked so amazing on the dirt they had to give it a shot and that was actually the first time i rode him was his first race on the dirt so riding him on the turf the other day that was the first time i'd actually sat on him in the turf and i mean he's just just as good if not better um he showed a lot of fight the other day he's always had so much heart and just to see him get back into form and put in a performance like that. And it was really cool, especially just, you know, being a big fan of the horse. He got me my first uh, classic win. Uh, you know, he's been everything to me. So I'm just so happy for him and his connections. I was going to ask how much 
does this horse mean to you? Do you get the chance to sometimes sit on him in the mornings as well? Uh, not recently with everything going on. Um, and he's been traveling a lot uh, between California, Florida, Kentucky, and now I believe he's up here. But Mark likes to work a lot of his horses on the turf, and unfortunately they're not letting the riders work on the turf course here. So he's big adjustment right now. But normally I would, like last year, I was working him almost every time he worked um, into each race. So I've gotten very familiar with him over the year. Do you still get the chance to get on some horse in the morning? I, I know that the jockeys have to get on the horses in the paddock and then go out onto the main track. Have you had any experience doing that? I worked one, I think it was Saturday for Wesley Ward. And um, I have a worker tomorrow morning for Safi Joseph. It, it's definitely different, but I mean, Keeneland did the same thing. They had the jockeys meeting in the paddock and going out on the track and then dismounting again in the paddock. So it's just an adjustment. It's certainly a new normal for everyone. Um, I'd love to look ahead with you to this weekend. You're partnering Lexitonian for Jack Sisson, the retained trainer for Calumet Farm. In the grade one Alfred G. Vanderbilt handicap, he's quite flexible in terms of his running style. He can sort of rate but also move forward. It is quite a deep field for him, though. I think he really has to bring his A game. But what do you think his chances are like? You know, like you said, it's a it's a very tough field. Um, volatile. He's an incredible animal. Um, I ran against him last time at Churchill. I rode a nice horse for Chad Brown, and he just destroyed the field that day. He he looked ultra impressive, and the time was fast. So he's definitely the horse to beat. Um, you know, we, we got the rail draw, uh, but my horse is pretty tactical. Last time he showed a lot of speed and got himself more involved early, and I think that's his best running style. Just you don't want to leave him too much to do. Um, it's a short but very uh, tough field, so we're just going to go in there with a good attitude and – Try and work out a nice trip for him, and hopefully we get lucky. Would that be part of the plan to move forward early from that rail draw? Yeah, I'll talk. To, I'll talk with Jack this week. Um, last time he wanted me to get him more involved early, so I'm assuming it'll be somewhat of the same. We'll look at the form, see who's going to be the true speed of the race, and see if we're quick enough to be involved early. You also have a mount in the grade three Boston Spa, actually grade two, I think it is. It's on the same day and you're riding the lightly raced North Broadway for Chat Brown on the turf a mile and 16. Would you like to share anything about this filly? Uh, have you sat on her before and what is she like? I've never sat on her before. Uh, this will be the first time partnering up with her. I've watched her replays. I watched her race when she broke her main in at Gulfstream. She ran very impressive that day. Um, last time at Monmouth, it looked like she got a little bit strong early and just kind of tired herself out. So we're looking for her to rebound and get back on track. It's a it's a very tough field, but um, you know, riding horses for Mister Brown and Mister Brain, you always have a shot. You definitely do. You're running for a variety of trainers here at Saratoga. Obviously, much credit goes to your ability as well as your agent Matt Musicar, if I say that correctly. Yes, ma'am. When did you get together with him, and how would you describe your relationship? I believe I've been with Matt about four years now. Um, I was riding down at Gulfstream full-time, um, shipping around to ride 
a couple stake races here and there, and I shipped up to New York, and this was uh, just after he had split up with Javier, and he reached out to me when I got back to Florida and showed some interest in taking my book. And, of course, an opportunity comes like that. Someone has, uh, has done as well as he has in the past and proven numerous times with riders like Abar Coa, Sean Bridgman, Rosie Naprav, and Javier. I mean, he's one of the best in the game. And after working with him, I can truly say uh, I'm so blessed to have him on my side. Uh, makes my job so easy. He he makes all the decisions. So really, all I have to do is show up and ride. Aside from what you say, he's incredibly experienced. Do you get the chance to chat with him in terms of your own riding? Do you uh, watch the replays together, or how does it work? Uh, we we talk numerous times throughout the day. Um, well, he'll give me advice as far as something I can work on. Um, who to who to watch in certain races? It was send me a replay. Uh, check this out, and he's always trying to make me better. He, cha- he challenges me. He he knows my buttons. So he likes to push them, but it, he only does it to make me better. And uh, I mean, I I don't know where I'd be without him. Well, you've certainly improved tremendously over the last couple of years, and a lot of people dubbed you a rising star, and you continue to rise. And love to get back to when we just spoke about War Will before, you've tasted classic success last year with that Preakness win. You must be keen to try and add the Kentucky Derby to your resume as well. Would there be a horse on the horizon that might take you there, or how is it going? I, You know, as a jockey, everybody, every jockey really wants to win the Kentucky Derby. That's, that's, that's a dream for everyone. Um, no different. Um, just... A few years ago, I got to ride <clears throat> my first derby, and it was an experience like no other. And then last year with War Will, I thought we had a legitimate shot, so it was just made it that much more exciting. This year has been kind of strange with everything going on. There's still a lot of moving chairs. Uh, we're not really sure who's actually going to run, and there's still quite a few preps in between. But uh, we have a couple horses on our radar. Um, we're just trying to see how everything plays out right now you're keeping your cards close to your chest i completely understand i do hope of course to get some news on that front soon i'd love to get back to zulu alpha who you briefly mentioned before a great start to 2020 so far with the pegasus world cup turf invitational and then the great two elkhorn stakes and you mentioned he is gonna stay down in kentucky what would be the target for him this year I believe it's the Kentucky Cup Classic at Kentucky Downs. He won the race last year. It's a million-dollar purse, and uh, that was kind of their goal all along, to run there and then into the Breeders' Cup from there. Um, Zulafa is a horse that loves it. Uh, he runs better when he's fresh, so they don't like to put too many races into him. And he's he's an old pro, you know. He's so easy to ride. He's just a pleasure to be around. He's push button, uh, very easy to ride just kind of point him and he kind of handles the rest <laughs> he must be a, a pleasure to ride indeed and i do hope you get the chance to partner him more frequently this year depending on the current covid19 regulations and i'd love to get your view on what it's been like for you in terms of you know the process that's put, been put in place here at saratoga and 
but also at these different tracks that you've ridden at because you sealed up your second uh, Churchill Down meat leading rider title, which is a phenomenal feat. Well done. Thank you. But what was it like? It must have been very different to be riding down there during the pandemic. You know, it was a big change. Um, it start. It all started when we were still in Florida. Um, they announced that they were going to start res- putting restrictions on fans, and then they made it where there was no spectators. So it 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 all happened so fast, and we've just learned to kind of adjust. Um, East track has had different rules. Um, Gulfstream was a little more open at first because it was so early on and nobody really knew what to do. By the time we got up to Kentucky, they had some protocols and they made each rider get tested coming in. Uh, if you left, if you left to go ride out of town, you had to come back and get a test before you were able to ride, but they provided testing at uh, Churchill, which made it so much easier for us. And then I uh, Keeneland kind of did the same thing. Um, They had testing on site. We all had to receive a negative test before we were able to ride. Um, They spread us out between four different jocks rooms, which was great. They had one room for uh, riders that were shipping out, going to Indiana on the days off. They had a room for riders coming in from New York, a room for riders coming in from California, and then they had the Kentucky guys. So we all had our own space, uh, keeping social distancing, and they they really made it easy on us. And it's been so different without the fans, but it's just kind of becoming the normalcy nowadays. Do you miss the fans? Oh yeah, you know, like the other day. I, first, at Keelan, I mean, that's just one place. The atmosphere, of the fans. That that's what makes it so special. Uh, walking through the tunnel and having the huge grandstand, everybody cheering after the races. It's a short meet. Everybody comes out, the whole town. Uh, they have people up on the hill tailgating. So you kind of miss all that. And then, especially on those big race days, uh, it's much more fun to kind of celebrate with the fans after a big win. I think all of us hope that we'll get back to that situation soon again, although it doesn't very likely at present. Uh, what has it been like at Saratoga? I know that they've sort of taken over the entire building to make sure you guys are well spaced out. But even just the atmosphere, normally, of course, Saratoga is a home of all the fans. Has it been weird? It's been a little eerie, um, just because, you know, after the races, you're so used to the, the kids running down, wanting some goggles. Uh, you always sign autographs. Um, even when you go out in town and everybody's out, friendly, always. It's just a great community here, but it's been so different. It, kind of takes away from the excitement and the, the whole feel of the place. But it's still Saratoga, and it's, it's incredible to win here. The quality of the racing has not diminished one bit. Oh, no. As a jockey, you move around quite a lot. Would there be a day that you'd say you'd try and stick to a certain circuit and, and put yourself permanently in that situation? For example, being up in the New York circuit or down in Kentucky? Uh, it's kind of hard to stay in one place nowadays. Um, I ride the Kentucky circuit in the spring and the fall. Uh, You have to come here to follow the horses in the summer. And then in the wintertime, everybody goes to Gulfstream. So you kind of have to, you have to follow the horses. It's it's hard to stick in one place. Does that ever bother you? Let's say if your family is in a certain place, does it ever get to you that you're always in a different place? I, at first, it was tough. It was an adjustment, but I've been doing this for, I think this is my fourth year of traveling. 
on the circuit or third year. So I've gotten used to it by now. Um, my girlfriend comes with me, uh, so I'm never really alone. She makes everything a lot easier for me. And uh, I would say the most difficult part is just packing up and leaving. <laughs> it's, it gets tiring. <laughs> like uh, we go to Keeneland for one month and Churchill for one month and here for six weeks and back to Keeneland for a month, Churchill for a month. There's never really have any time to actually like spend somewhere. Do you have a routine now for the packing part of it all? Oh yeah, we've got it down. Uh, <laughs> we get the space bags and it frees up a lot of space so we can usually fit it all in one car. And we have a couple of storage units between Florida and Kentucky. So that makes it easier. Yeah, I found myself really getting into the routine in terms of packing. So I figured you must have one as well. I'd love to talk a little bit about how you got into racing because your family, both your dad, Steve, as well as grandfather Bobby were jockeys. You must have grown up thinking, this is it, I'm going to be a jockey. Was that the case or not necessarily? Yeah, for the most part, I, I loved horses since uh, I can remember. I I got my first pony when I was three. I named him Chipper Jones. I was a big baseball fan. He was my favorite player at the time, so I named him after him. Uh, I did barrel racing. I did have a short time or a short period where I wanted to be a bull rider, but I was a huge Ty Murray fan, and I loved the PBR and National Finals Rodeo, so I followed that real closely. And I spent a lot of time in Davie, Florida, which is um, it's kind of it's more of a country area, uh, a lot of farms. Uh, they have an old town. People used to ride their ponies up. Uh, they have hitch and posts. You could leave the pony tied up and go get go into the store and get what you need. So, and I spent a lot of time in Ocala, which is very similar. So. I was always around horses, uh, just this is my whole life. Uh, I couldn't really think of it, doing anything else. Um, by the time I was 10, I was starting to gallop in the mornings with my dad. Uh, he had a few horses that he was training, and I started getting on horses with him. I worked the sales when I was a teenager. Um, I think I started that when I was 13. It worked out great because I weighed like 70 pounds, so... Uh, going an eighth of a mile, everybody thought it was a huge difference. So I got a ton of experience doing that, and it was a lot of fun. I bet. But getting back to the bull riding, I mean, <laughs> how long did you do that for? That's a, quite a different game. I actually never did. I was too young at the time. I tried, but they wouldn't let me. <laughs> and I don't think my dad was going to risk me getting hurt, but that was my dream for a good two years. I had the chaps, the hats, everything. Have you ever spoken with Mike Smith about it? I'm pretty sure he did a little bit of bull riding. No way. I I talk to Mike all the time. I didn't know that. <laughs> I thought he did. I swear I once heard him say something about it. Well, do correct me if I'm wrong. Please, please ask him. It'd be interesting I, I to know. Will. I got I to gotta hear this. <laughs> it must be something about, you know, riding 500, well, 500 kilograms animals or more that are definitely able to kill you. It's an, it's an interesting one. Yeah, I... I've actually my valet down in Florida. He handles my tack down there, but um, he he used to ride bulls professionally, and he, he was really good. Uh, he has some great stories. I always love hearing them. I dare say you've made a very good choice getting into horse racing. <laughs> it worked out. Yeah, I mean, 2015 champion apprentice. You had 217 wins that year, and then in 2018, you tied Jerry Bailey's record by winning seven races on a single card 
at Gulfstream Park. I, it's safe to say that that worked out very well. I mean, <laughs> what did that mean to you? Ah, uh, man, I, I've been so blessed. Uh, when I started riding, I, I just I just wanted to be a jockey. I didn't have the biggest hopes or dreams at that time. Of course, you want to succeed, but I would have been happy just being able to make a living doing this. Um, like I said, I love horses. Um, my favorite time is when I'm on the back of a horse or in a race, you know, you just you get lost in the moment and kind of everything else, I guess, disappears and all your worries just kind of go away and you're just in the moment with that horse. And I, there's just nothing more beautiful than that. It certainly is. And if you hadn't made it as a jockey, what do you think you would have gone on to do? I would have definitely gone back to school. Um, would have liked to go to college. I still have plans on taking online courses to get a degree. But um, something in finance, I, I've always, I, I like playing the stock market. I have a few investments and uh, I have a personal account that I like to play with. So either that or, I mean, I always wanted to be a lawyer when I was younger. So maybe that would have worked out. Wow, that's very different from being a jockey. Oh, Yeah. <laughs> Uh, cover both sides of the spectrum. Certainly, certainly. Just quickly getting back to you were mentioning that you and your girlfriend travel around a lot. Is she supportive of what you do and is she in horse racing herself? I do believe I heard she was. Oh, she's my biggest supporter. Um, I I don't know what I'd do without her. Uh, she's actually involved in horse racing. Her father is Bob Edwards of E5 Racing. They owned um, Good Magic, Rushing Fall, New Money Honey, so that's actually how we met i started riding a few horses for them down in florida and she came to the track and got lucky there wow so the track gave you and the career and an amazing girlfriend Jeez, you've done very well here oh man living the dream in terms of dreams what would you say would be the ultimate career goal aside from everything you've already achieved have to say the Derby. Um, besides the Derby, I'd love to win an Eclipse Award for um, professional jockey. There's only been a handful of guys to win one as apprentice and as a journeyman, so that would be pretty amazing. Uh, love. It would be an honor to be in the Hall of Fame one day. And really, for me, I just hope when I walk away and I retire, um, there's can't really say anything bad about me. I try and do everything the right way, um, handle my business professionally, and just hope I leave a good mark on the sport. I definitely think that you've been a tremendous ambassador. I remember interviewing you before about the whip issue, and you're very clear in your opinions about moving the sport forward, which is great, especially because you are a younger jockey in the way. But Quickly getting back to the Eclipse Award, are uh, you happy to take on Arad Ortiz Jr., reigning dual champion? <laughs> uh, it, it's He's such an amazing rider. It would be an honor to battle with him, but um, you have to have so much respect for him and his brother. They, they ride so well, and they're great competitors, but even better people, you know. Um, we're, we're pretty close friends. Uh, I've gone to Puerto Rico with them, met their family. They show me around. Uh, anytime we travel, if I need anything, call them. Same for them when they come to Kentucky. So it's, it's, it's nice having friends that you can compete with. In terms of your fellow colleague jockeys, who would be the riders that you very much look up to and, and look at their style and the way of race riding? Um, present, John Velasquez, uh, Arad Ortiz, 
um, Ricardo Santana. Um, but if you go back in the past, uh, I was a huge fan of Jerry Bailey, of course, um, Mike Smith, or Mikey's still riding, but I love watching his older replays uh, back when he rode Holy Pool and all those horses. Uh, Garrett Gomez, uh, Chris McCarron, he had an amazing left hand. Um, Angel Cordero, Lafitte Pinkai. I mean, the list goes on. Uh, I don't want to throw anybody, I don't want to leave anybody out, but I'm also a huge fan of Joel Rosario. I actually get to share a corner with him here in Saratoga, and he's so amazing to learn from me. It's such a great attitude and rides the perfect race, in my opinion. To me, he's the complete rider. Uh, his patience, skill, his power, strength, I mean, he's got it all. Well, Tyler, thank you so much for spending a little bit of your evening here with us and the listeners. I definitely want to get you back on once we know more about your derby map. Yeah, that would be great. I'm sorry I can't disclose much info. I just don't want to give too much out. <laughs> We're still fighting for a couple spots completely understandable look forward to seeing who you end up on thank you so much i don't think there is much left to add here i'm so grateful to have both these incredibly hard-working and talented people come on my show and i promise they'll be making more frequent appearances saratoga is going it rained today and meaning at least that part of normalcy is held up and we'll continue on to next week so see you then guys same time same place i would miss you if you weren't there 